God bless you. Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a four-week series here, and, and uh, this is our third so- sermon in this series uh, called "The Story" or "The Story of the Bible." And uh, let me uh, let me pray before we get into that. Holy Spirit, we ask that you uh, would uh, not that my words conjure you. <laughs> we know you are here, but we ask that you would show up. You know, you would show up in a way that is very obvious to us. That you would speak to our hearts, and that you would speak to our intellect, and you would marry those two together into making a person and people that are wholly given over to you, that are wholly just enamored with you and your presence and who you are and your glory and that you would you would feed us in a way that makes us hungry for more of your glory that we would go farther with it that we will we would want to see it more as we're in this prayerful posture i want you guys to think about the seats next to you that are empty And I want you to start praying for those seats to be filled. Not that we would be a church that's growing and cool, but that we would see people fill those seats that have never known the Lord Jesus and His power and His glory before. Come, Father God, come and fill those seats. And do that through our efforts and through our prayers. Let us be the people that really start to begin to reach out and to share you with others. To, in, in the heart of bringing them in and reconciling hurts in our community and recon, seeing people reconciled with you through the power of the gospel. Father, make that a reality for our church. Wake us up, shake us up. Let us become people that are absolutely, totally given over to your purposes for us in life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I could have just prayed the whole sermon. <laughs> oh, man. Woo. What a week. What a week I've had. We had an, uh, another uh, little foster kid last night, like three or four in the morning. So I'm a little punch drunk because Kim and I were kind of up all night waiting for him to come in. Uh, so you can pray for him. He's asleep right now because he's, you know, he's been traveling all night. But anyway, so this is uh, the fourth sermon in uh, our third sermon in a four-part series or four-part, uh, yeah, ser- series called The Story, The Story of the Bible, and just marching through it. And, and today we're going to discuss Israel as a Great Commission nation and us as a Great Commission church. And we're continuing to understand the story of the Bible as, you know, sort of, you know, God working to reveal His His greatest glory at the end of days when all, you know, everybody's standing before the throne worshiping Him. And our greatest glory is going to be seen there, you know, um, and, and, and or His greatest glory is going to be seen there, and it's going to be our greatest joy to see that, right? And, and we were viewing the Bible as not as 66 individual, you know, separate books, but as one book with one introduction and one story or one body and then one conclusion, right? And we remember that God, you know, after the introduction, God makes this promise in Genesis chapter 2 or 12, I'm sorry, verses 2 and 3, and he fulfills it and and he starts the story and he fulfills it in Revelation 5 uh, verse 9. And remember in the introduction, if you were here with us, if you haven't been here with us, go back and listen to the sermons. I think they're worth it. 
Not that I'm like some great whatever, but, but I think there, this is good stuff to learn, right? So in the introduction, God creates all this diversity. And God loves diversity. He created it, and he, and he glories in it, right? And so in the story from Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3 on through Revelations 5, 9, God is in the business of unifying all that diversity in the story of God. He's not erasing it because he loves it, Right? And in the conclusion, God's greatest glory is seen and our greatest joy is is experienced as all that diversity of the world is brought under Christ with all its various expressions. And if you remember, I asked you, this is where your imagination helps you to worship God. You can imagine that last day when all the different people groups of the world, all the different ethnic groups are worshiping the Lord in all their various outfits and color and language. And oh, it's going to be beautiful. It is absolutely, amen, right? It is going to be beautiful. So each time we go to the scriptures now, we should be seeing God's heart for the whole world and the big picture of how God wants to use our lives in revealing his greatest glory to all the people groups of the world. So we have a role in his story. It's the central purpose of our lives. If I could be so arrogant and bold to say that about your life. I do. (laughs) I am. And it's not because I'm saying it. I think it's because God has given it to us, right? We are blessed to be a blessing to all the people groups, all the nations of the earth. Not, Not nations of political boundaries, but nations of different ethnic linguistic boundaries, right? And uh, that's all based on this two-part promise of uh, given to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And those two parts are, if you remember, the top line of the covenant, right, that God wants to bless his people. But the bottom line of that covenant promise is that God wants us to be a blessing to all the people groups on the face of the earth. So today we're going to see how this promise made uh, Israel a great commission nation, right, that that's what they were supposed to be all about. That they were charged with taking God's glory to all the nations of the earth. They weren't just a people, you know, trying to stay to themselves, or they shouldn't have been, and, and, you know, fighting everybody off all the time. That's not what they were supposed to be doing. So we're going to look at six different ways that God emphasized this great commission promise to Abraham, to Israel. And there are more ways that God did this, but we're going to focus on these six today, which are... Uh, swearing or taking an oath, not swearing in, as in, you know what, but swear in, in making an oath, right? Repetition, and then imagery, and then nature, and then strategic growth, and then leadership, right? And the first way God emphasized, as I just said, his, his promise to Israel to become a great commission nation is by making an oath or swearing, right? And, you know, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to sort of make a promise to something important, uh, you would swear on it, right? It was, there was a time when people's word meant something. I'm not sure it does like it used to these days, but, but like, you know, like swearing on the Bible in the court, in a courtroom, right? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God, you know, all that kind of stuff. But in Hebrews chapter six, verse 16, it speaks of this. It says, for people swear by something greater than themselves, right? And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. I just thought about this. I remember in Indonesia, we would have uh, our workers, our staff uh, sign something. Because in Indonesian culture, 
it wasn't really a binding oath until you put your your physical signature on it. And boy, these guys would talk up a great, you know, game. And then you would say, okay, all right, that's great. We agree, right? We agree on everything. Like your job description, all the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. And they would be like, yeah. And I'd be like, okay, let's sign this then. And they'd be like, ah, wait. (laughs) And, you know, you get to know where where people really, you know, kind of are, are being truthful. But in the Old Testament, you'd swear by something that was greater than yourself, by heaven, by, by the altar, by God himself. And in so doing, you were making a formal commitment to your word, right? And so how's this apply to God's promise to Abraham? Well, Hebrews 6, 16 continues. So when God desired, it says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchanging character of his purpose... Think about what his purpose is. It's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. He guaranteed it with an oath. Listen to that. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchanging character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God gave this oath, right? Or he swore, you know, when he was talking to Abraham about the top and the bottom line of the covenant promise. He wanted Abraham to see how, uh, how important this promise really was to everything, you know, his relationship to him and the future and everything else. But there's no one greater than God to swell. God didn't have anybody greater than himself to swear by, right? So what happened? The only possible option, if God wanted to make sure that Abraham and future generations understood his promise is found in Genesis twenty two sixteen, And it says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. It's the only thing he could swear by. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. But what's the context of, of uh, uh, and, and, and what's God really swearing? You know, what does he want to make so clear in, a, in this promise? Well, if you look at the next few verses, Genesis 22, 16 through 17, he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. So this, there's a blessing here, right? There's a great blessing here. You know, making their descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore and, you know, cities being given to them and building land and all stuff. And uh, this all refers, again, to the top line blessing of the covenant, the covenant promise. And with all these blessings, we know from the last few weeks that it's always followed by a bottom line responsibility of the covenant promise, which is found in verse 18. It says, and through your offspring, all nations, all people groups on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. We just see this all throughout the scriptures, right? So God is restating the covenant right here. The Israelites and their descendants were to be a great commission nation. It's what they were supposed to be all about. And the context of this promise is right after Abraham, as we know, was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar, right? And if you remember that story, he he begins to go through with it. But then just before Abraham brings the knife down on his son, an angel appears and stops him. 
And then God gives him the Abrahamic covenant a third time right there. So what's happening? Well, I think God was basically saying to him, Abraham, do you love me more than your, even your own son? Now, I don't think that was for God's benefit. I think it was for Abraham's benefit. He really had to understand what was going on. He was the guy that was beginning this whole thing, that God was using to begin this whole thing. So once God saw Abraham's willingness, or maybe once Abraham saw his own willingness to demonstrate this, God basically said to him, now that you have demonstrated, right, that I come before all things, even your own son, I want to reemphasize my great promise to you. Not only will I tell you a third time, this is the third time, but I'll commit, I'll commit to it with an oath and I will swear by myself. You and your descendants are to be a great commissioned nation bringing my glory to every people group on the earth. So this was the third time, right? Which points to the second way that God emphasized, emphasizes his promise and that is by repetition, Right? God gave this promise to Abraham and his descendants no less than five times. He gave gave it to Abraham three times. Abraham, Genesis Genesis 12, Genesis 18, and then Genesis 22. And then he gave gave it to Isaac in Genesis 26. And then he gave it again to Jacob in Genesis 28. Right? So, like any good teacher, God is using repetition as this tool, this device, this attention getting device and he's communicating to all of us abraham and everybody else included that this is so important i am repeating it five times and i'm not only repeating it five times but right in the beginning of genesis right at the very in the first book of the whole bible right which means that god is trying to shake up his people and he's saying wake up wake up i am not only repeating this five times but i put it in the very beginning of my story And remember, history is his story, right? This is central to your purpose, he's saying, for being here. And what the rest of all of the story is about, what the rest of all of history is about, is this. The rest of the book is about you helping to fulfill this promise that I gave to Abraham. I want to bless you, and I want you to be a blessing to all the people groups of the earth. So get it into your DNA. That's what he's saying. Grind it into your DNA. You are a great commission nation. So this promise is obviously super duper important to God. And therefore, it is super duper important to us. Right? Now, the third way that God emphasizes this promise is through imagery. If you take a closer look at the third time The Abrahamic covenant is given in Genesis 22, verses 16 and 17. It says this, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, right, that because you have done this and not have withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, God was saying to Abraham, I will make you so tremendously numerous. I will multiply you like crazy that great numbers will come from your family line and i i believe that's not only his physical family line but the spiritual family line we are spiritual descendants of abraham and nations will come from you right the top and the bottom line of the blessing right stars fill the sky 
right? Shining and giving off light. If you've ever camped away from a city, Kim, Kim and I do this quite often when we go backpacking or whatever. We were just uh, canoeing in the Everglades and Kim's back went out and she's laying in the bottom of the canoe looking up at the stars in the sky. And when you get away from a city and there's no ambient light around you and the sky is just pitch black, it is just like a blanket of scars from one end to the other, east, far, east, west, south, north. It is just stars everywhere. And it's almost like there's more stars in the sky sometimes. And all the light coming down, it is one of the most, it's one of the most beautiful experiences you can have. Kim was watching all the shooting stars. She counted 12 shooting stars. And I saw a couple that she didn't see. It was kind of cool, right? It was really kind of cool. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's the image he's giving them, right? That the Israelites were supposed to be like those stars, covering the earth and shining God's glory to all the other nations so that the other nations may know and, and be reconciled with God as well. They were to spread out among the nations, taking the news of God's glory everywhere, a great commission nation, paralleling Jesus' words in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? Now, we, when we think of the sand on the seashore, I'm sure we've all sat there and put our toes in it, and you know, you, you think, I could never count all these, right? I could never sit here and count every grain of sand. It goes hand in hand with the top blessing of the stars of the sky, right? Over centuries of time, I don't know if you think about this, but sand shift from shore to shore. The sand that Christopher Columbus started sailing on probably hit our shores 50 years ago, right? Sand shifts and moves. It covers the globe just like stars do. Abraham and his descendants were to go from shore to shore with a message of God's glory. Right? They weren't sitting there hoarding the blessing to themselves. They were to be out there giving it away. And God uses a third analogy to show how the Israelites were to spread his glory. And they were to be like dust. As you see in Genesis 28:14a. it says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Now, I'm not, we're not talking, and I don't think God is talking about the dust in your house. Like when you see the, the light come, the sunlight come through your living room window, and you see the dust flying in there. You know, Kim was just sitting there yesterday saying, oh, I just dusted that mantle a week ago. Look at it. It's covered again. That's not the dust we're talking about. This is referring to these tremendous dust storms that you have in the Middle East. I, I know that um, uh, it, I, I've heard that in, in uh, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl and all that stuff, people would say that you couldn't get away from the dust that was in your hair, in your clothes. It, was, it just came through the, every little crack of your house to get in all over your house. It was just everywhere, and that's what God is talking about. It says, uh, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south in every direction from the promised land. You remember, they're centered in the promised land. They're supposed to go out in every direction like a dust storm where all the other people groups are located, bringing God's glory to them. And biblically, the terms north, south, east, and west is, a, is another term for all the nations. And spreading out is just another way that says go. Go, take the gospel, take the, 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 the glory of the Lord to, to all these people. God is saying, your descendants are going to be like a huge dust storm spreading my glory to every nation on the earth. Dust doesn't, that doesn't sound too nice, but 
you get the imagery, right? And then that verse ends, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is just all throughout Scripture. The bottom line of being like dust, all nations on earth shall be reached. They'll be reached with God's glory. Stars, sand, dust, God communicating clearly through imagery that Israel was to be a great commissioned nation. Therefore, the church now needs to place high priority on sending people out to the nations as well. And those that we don't send that stay here, we send them. Money, prayers, encouragement, right? Another way of God's uh, communicating Israel is to be a great commission nation is through nature. You know, before we look at nature, though, we've got to review the numbers, what the numbers 70 and 12 mean in Scripture. If you recall, we found 70 different linguistic groups created at the Tower of Babel uh, in, in, in chapter 11 of Genesis. We counted them up uh, in, in Genesis chapter 10 because chapter 10 and 11 are really about the same thing. And uh, often Hebrew writers would write about one instance twice in two different ways. So Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 10 and 11, they're pretty much outlining the same thing in different ways. And in the Bible, the number 70 is, it, it often represents the nations of the world because of that. And the number 12, obviously we know represents, if we've been around the church at all, the 12 tribes of Israel. So if we look at it, Exodus 15, 27, to understand where in nature God uses these numbers to communicate Israel is to be a great commission nation, it says this, Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near, there near the water. Now, I, I'm not sure that if I stopped and camped, I would count all the trees and all the springs and all the blades of grass. And, you know, it's just not something you do. Why is this in here? It's there for a purpose. Twelve springs representing Israel, watering and giving life to 70 palm trees representing all the nations of the earth. All the different ethnic groups created there at the uh, Tower of Babel. God non-verbally communicating through nature that Israel was to be a blessing, giving life to all the nations of the earth, giving his glory to all the nations of the earth. God communicating the Great Commission through nature. The fourth way that God uh, communicates his desire to have Israel reach out to all the nations was by placing them, as we've said last week, strategically in the promised land, but for strategic growth, right? So remember, the bottom line to the promised land was that it was a strategic location where the nations came through, that all those major trade routes were coming through there, where Israel could share their faith with Gentile after Gentile after Gentile, uh, with all these different ethnic groups and people groups. And next week we're going to see how they were coming through there, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But they're sharing their gen- with Gentile and Gentile at, about their God who their God was. They were strategically located, right? But it wasn't just their location. Let's look at an interesting passage in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, which speaks not just of their location, but also of their growth. It says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, so... Tower of Babel, they're all divided up, and he sends them out. He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. Let me read that twice. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. 
Now, that text could have two meanings. Firstly, as the nations increased in size, right, as they got bigger and bigger and all that stuff, they acquired more land. So the Lord let the Israelites grow and gaining land in a proportional amount. But eventually you would run out of land, wouldn't you? Secondly, it could mean that as the nations increased in population, right, so the Lord allowed Israel to increase proportionally in population growth. And so in light of the Abrahamic covenant, that second option makes much more sense that God allowed the Israel to grow proportionally in population with all the nations of the earth. They were to be a great commissioned nation, right? And if there were ever a point in time in Israel's history where revival broke out among them, you know, among the Jews, that they would have enough people to both send and go as missionaries to all the nations of the earth to bring them God's glory. God's always prepared, he's always been prepared, and he's always prepared even right now to reach all the nations with his people. This reminds me of a sermon I did years ago about money. And, you know, if every Christian gave uh, the sort of suggested 10% tithe, that we would have so much money that we would never have a problem with sending people, buying properties, paying salaries, beautifying things, blessing our our communities, helping the poor, and, you know, paying off the debt of small countries. That's That's how influential we could be if we took any of this seriously at all. Sorry. (laughs) So God has always kept that in mind, right? Um, He's always been prepared to reach all the nations of the world with his people. There have always been enough. We've always had enough resources. We don't, we're, we're not lacking in any way, right? All we need is conviction of the Holy Spirit and an obedience to the Lord to take his glory to all nations. That's the only thing that we need is an understanding and conviction and a grit, a little bit of grit, right? If, if, if God's people today were to have a revival around the globe, there would be enough Christians to go and take the gospel to every single people group on the face of the earth. There's about 24,000 of them, if you didn't know that. He's always had that in mind which continues to show us how concerned God is for seeing his glory go out to the nations. If you don't read about missionary stories, ask my wife. She's, she's got some good books, and, and there's the, the whatever, the, the what is it, the Heart of the Martyrs or something like that, the magazine back there, and there's all kinds of stories. There is a lot going on in the world that we need to be praying for and supporting in this, in this realm. In the final way, God emphasizes his promise is through leadership, right? Through leadership. God gave insight to some of the kings who truly sought him with all their heart and some of the leaders who truly sought him with all their heart. And we can look at three leaders. We can look at King David, we can look at King Solomon, and then we can look at the prophet Isaiah, right? And let's start with King David. First Chronicles, which is the book that none of us have ever read, right? First Chronicles 16, verses 23 and 24, it says, Sing to the Lord. So he's singing a song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. 
his marvelous deeds among all peoples. And all this language is shared, right? So this is King David celebrating the Ark of the Covenant being brought back into Israel, right? And in his celebration, he declares God's glory is is to go out to all nations. David knows the promise, right? The Great Commission clearly stated by Israel's second king. He knew the word of God, and he was committed to it. Next, let's look at David's son, King Solomon. When Solomon dedicated the temple after it was uh, finished being built, he prayed a very specific prayer And when, when, de- when dedicating the outer court. And if you remember what the outer court was, it was the court of the Gentiles. Remember, I mentioned Mark 11, which we're going to look at a little bit next week, uh, where Jesus overturned the tables in the court of the Gentiles because they're in there selling stuff and just you know, using people and, and abusing them financially and all stuff. And, and the lesson was not about greed. It was about the fact that that court of the Gentiles was the place where all these nations came in through these trade routes and they could see Israel both praying for them and sharing with them who God was and invite them into that relationship with God. And they weren't doing it. They were just making money off of people, Right. And this prayer definitely showed Israel was to be a great commissioned nation, making God famous to the ends of the earth. It said, it's, and it's found in uh, 1 Kings, another book nobody ever reads, chapter 8, verses 41 through 43. It says, as for the foreigner, which is people from other nations, right, who does not belong to your people Israel. Now, I want you to listen to this really carefully. But does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name. In other words, who God is, who Israel is in light of God and all that stuff. These people are hearing and they're coming in to understand it. They're being drawn in. For they will hear of your great name. I mean, any pastor in the world would want that to happen. I'd want people lining up my door, coming in here saying, what are you guys doing in here? We heard about you from, you know, West Virginia. <laughs> and we wanted to come in here. What's, what's going on in here? Anybody would want that. And that is what was happening. Right. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. And when they come and pray towards this temple. So they're coming in to pray towards this temple. Then hear from heaven, your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you. Now, the foreigner is not asking them to do anything wrong. The foreigner is asking them, who is your God? Tell me more about this. Do that for them. That's what he's saying to them. Right. Do whatever the foreign ask of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your, your own people Israel and may, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Amen. Amen to that, right? Solomon knew they were to be a great commission nation living for God in such a way that people from all the other nations around the nations would hear and be drawn in and come and find out who God is. It is a shame what they think of the church around us right now. Ravi Zacharias, if you don't know the story, I'm sorry to even bring it up. Shame. I mean, gosh, come on. All you got to do is wake up. Take it a little bit seriously, right? We'll look at one more leader of Israel who knew that they were to be a great commission nation, but that they blew it, right? And that is the prophet Isaiah, chapter 26, verses 17 and 18 of the book bearing his name. He says, as a woman with child, 
as a pregnant woman like Rachel over here, (laughs) you know, as a woman with child and about to give birth, rise and cries out in her pain. So were we in your presence. So they crying and writhing out. You know, you hear Israel complaining all the time, right? Oh, Lord, you know, they're saying, oh, Lord, we, we were with child. In other words, they were pregnant with the promise of God. We were with child. We writhed in pain, but we gave birth to wind. We have, and he continues, we have not brought salvation to the earth. We've not done it. We've not given birth to the people of the world. Sorry, I'm intense today, I know. You can laugh at me, it's all right. But Isaiah knew they were to be a great commission nation, but they had blown it. Three leaders, King David, King Solomon, and Isaiah, and all recognizing that Israel is to be this great commission nation, and God clearly intended to use Israel to reach the nations of the world. It was from the very beginning, and in doing so, he would eventually reveal his greatest glory at the end of days, Revelations 5, 9, and, and we would receive our greatest joy at that moment. Right? I want more joy now. I want to be building on that. So God had two strategies, obviously, for the Israelites to accomplish this this task, right? The first was for the Gentiles to come to them as they were strategically placed in the center of the nations to receive them in that promised land, right? And what does that mean for us today? Today it means that there are people moving into our communities and into our cities that are not like us. Like that kid I just received at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? They are not like us. So we can be reaching out to internationals that God brings in in our midst. It's your neighbor that dresses differently than you, looks differently than you, speaks differently than you. People are very interesting. Right? The second was for them to go to the nations, right? Like the stars and the dust and the sand with God's glory, to take it out. This means some of us are actually called to go into cross-cultural missions to some other place in the earth. My kids are thinking about that right now, some of my kids. You know, as a father, I'm like, ugh. (laughs) You know, my daughter wants to go to Indonesia this summer and, you know, spend some time with some people that we were in ministry with there. And I'm excited for her, but I'm a little nervous. But I'm, I'm, I'm a proud I'm proud my daughter would, would say yes to Jesus for that, right? And I'll send her. I'll give her money. I'll pray for her. I'll encourage her. Might even fly over there and visit her. I don't know. But, you know, this, but this does mean some of us are called to go into full-time missions, cross-culture to other places on the earth that would otherwise never have a chance to hear the gospel, right? And the rest of us are called to be cognizant of that and to send them to write that check, to pray that prayer, to, to email them or call them and encourage them while they're over there because it's not an easy thing to do, right? So God emphasized his promise to Abraham in six ways. He swore, he, he used repetition, used imagery, nature, strategic growth, and leadership, and it all communicated that Israel was to be this great commissioned nation. But let's ask the question, 
Why did God want Israel to be a great commission nation? Why not wait, like we've thought in the past, to, to give the great commission when Jesus came along after his three-year ministry at the very end at Matthew 28 and give the great commission then, which is what we all thought before this sermon series, right? Unless you've known me for a long time and you've heard it before. Why begin way back in the beginning of the Bible? Well, imagine if God didn't give the Great Commission to the Israelites in the Old Testament and Jesus only gave it at the end of his three-year ministry. What difference would that have made? What would it be like now? What would we think now? Well, we'd probably think, you know, kind of the same thing that we have thought. That it would have communicated missions is only a really very small part of the Bible. That evangelism... And taking the gospel to other people is only a very, it's only a little thing. And it, that's his gifting over there. It's, it's not my responsibility. That's what we would have, would have thought, right? That God didn't really love or care for or want those nations, uh, you know, in his kingdom for the majority of the time. And, and therefore, missions must, must not be a large priority in God's mind. That's what we would have thought if it wasn't from the very beginning. But because he did put it in the very beginning of the Bible, we see it as his largest priority, his whole, the, the basis for his whole story. It flows through every book of the Bible. God's pursuing his greatest glory for our greatest joy by using us in this whole thing. So we need to see God's heart for all nations from Genesis to Revelation, showing God's priority for reaching every single people group on this earth for his glory. And it's why Israel was called to be a great commissioned nation and why if we, should, if, if we should want to work towards the goal of receiving the greatest joy for all of eternity, which I do, we as a church should be a great commissioned church. If reaching the nations is found throughout the entire Bible, the entire word of God, the scriptures, which we believe is God-breathed and, you know, perfect and useful in all ways shouldn't it be found in, in in our entire lives and in the churches that we attend shouldn't that be the central thing there's a lot of churches out there right now that are not preaching this stuff that are totally taken off on some other tangent that is absolutely damaging right there's a lot of books I'm, i keep telling you all the books i'm reading about this stuff there's a lot of books i'm reading about this stuff that just really is saddening. It's saddening. So we as a church must be thinking intentionally about how we're reaching the nations, both locally and globally, right? Uh, We're going to have Second Chance Month in April. Uh, My community group is talking about ministry in prisons, and, you know, we're going to hopefully get into uh, Chester County Prison, I think it is, and do a couple classes there every week and blah, 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 and all stuff. And I just, being able to share with these guys and these women, you know, the, the, the love of Christ and how to change their lives and how to reconcile themselves, with people, it just, just really helpful, right? We're, we're going to have some, some people come in and talk about uh, evangelism. We're going to have some witnessing or uh, some testimonies about that and how to use some tools. And we're going to do the alpha course. So we are doing it locally. We're, we're also involved in, you know, supporting our missionaries, you know, uh, Dave and Lee in, 
uh, I'll say North Africa. Um, we have we have some people that we're connected with in, in Indonesia. We don't necessarily support them financially. Maybe we will in the future. I'm not sure. But we have the kinship network that's working all across the Middle East and in Middle East and North Africa. And you know, some people are like, "Oh, just give money." Money is important. Money is a tool of the kingdom. Nothing wrong with giving some cash, right? God bless you if you break out your checkbook or your credit card and you give it to the kingdom of God. I'm not saying I, I want to go buy, drive a Mercedes. That's not my purpose. I couldn't care less. I, w- I wouldn't mind driving a Harley if you want to buy me that, but no. Um, I was looking at prices of those things. Poof. That's not going to happen. But anyway, but um, yeah, goodness. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just were convinced of this and flooded the kingdom with our influence, prayers, money, everything, right? Well, let me pray for us, and then we, we want to uh, have communion together. And um, these things, uh, because of COVID, we've adopted this system. These, these have a little, you peel off the bottom, you have your little wafer, and then you have, you peel off the top, and you have your wine. It's not really wine, grape juice. Um, and uh, we'll do that in a minute. But let me pray for us as we get started in that. <sighs> Father, I am wound up. I, I, I pray, I pray, Father, that that what is of Jason would fall away. It would be, sort of be like a, a scaffolding that would just be taken away. That 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 we're building, we're, we're seeing you build this building before us, this this the story of who you are and what you want us to be about and where you want us to go and what you want us to do and the decisions you want us to make and all that kind of stuff. So I pray that none of what is me would be left here, that I would decrease and you would increase, that I pray that the glory of Christ would shine over this church, that we would both be drawing people in for the sake of your glory, and we would also be going out to people for the sake of your glory. That we would be excited about this. We want to share with people about this. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Checking my watch. I don't want to... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't know if you know that that's where this is. This passage is, but it's uh, verses 23 through 26. Uh, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, and I tell you where it was found in the Scriptures, because I think it's healthy for you to know this as a believer. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is something we practice together to remind ourselves of the great cost that God went to to bring us back into relationship with him. So I ask that you don't practice this in an unworthy fashion. 
If there's somebody you need to seek forgiveness with, is there something you need confessed before the Lord, do that prayerfully right now. I think uh, we're going to play a little background music, and we're going to give you a minute or two to do this, and uh, just do it whenever you're ready. God bless you guys, and I'll come up and close this out after that. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for all that you did to communicate to us. How you've carried us through this story, even when we were rebellious. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would bless us in ways that are beyond measure, not for the sake of becoming fat and happy, but for the sake of your glory among the nations, among the people right around us in this community, among our families and our friends and our work associates that may not yet know you. Father, we pray against despair. We pray against cloudiness and confusion. We pray against lies and untruths. And we pray against our own desires that lead us into sin and take us away from your purposes. Come and teach your people once again. Break our hearts once again. We want to be your people used for your glory. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Kim's going to give a few announcements and then we, we can close out.